All right, so question for those of you that were in charge of the Thanksgiving meal, how much time did you spend preparing the meal? How many hours? Call it out. Six days. So what's that? Six days. Days, okay. Yeah, not hours, but days. So how many days ago? I did everything. You did <laughs> How many days ago did you begin that? Your preparations? Five days Five? Five days? Awesome. It's, it's not like a contest. Where you know, oh, it's, I did it in four. I didn't remember. Uh, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. Um, we are really spoiled in my house. Beth does an amazing job with that. And I know she spent a lot of time. I didn't do much other than stir some green beans and get them ready for a casserole. But I know she spent a lot of time. And what always amazes me is the amount of time that it takes to prepare it compared to the amount of time it takes to consume it. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a drastic difference. Um, so what I want to say is that um, one of the things that Advent teaches us is that this is a season of preparation. Preparation for what? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But um, there are different seasons of the year on the Christian calendar that, um, that allow us to enter into the big story of God. And the Christian calendar year begins with Advent. It begins with preparing for this uh, arrival, this advent, this coming of the Christ child. But it's also a reminder, not just for us to experience what those people did in waiting and hoping and trusting, uh, but it allows us to realize that we today are still waiting, hoping and trusting for the second arrival of Christ. We believe that uh, the Bible teaches us that Christ is coming back. And so this is a season where we realize we are in that not yetness of life, where we, we are grateful for Christ, but we also realize that he is coming to us in fullness at some point. But there is also a way that I want us to consider the arrival of Christ, and that is that I want you to realize that he is desiring to break through into your day every day. He is coming to you. He is making his way to you. And a part of Advent is preparing ourselves for the arrival of Christ. And we can draw from the scriptures and we can see what type of preparation was made for Christ's birth. We can draw from the scriptures and see how we can prepare uh, for Christ's second arrival, his second coming. And we will also look at this in a very practical way for the here and now for how we can prepare ourselves for the everyday ordinary ways that Jesus breaks through. Last week we gave out some bookmarks and this week uh, we... Um, we, uh, ironically, okay, I'll just go and get this out of the way. Uh, the theme is, is a call to prepare. Uh, preparation is going to be the, our theme for the next four weeks. And uh, we were not prepared this morning with bookmarks. <laughs> we were not prepared with coffee. There were several things that we lacked in our preparation for. Um, so grace required this morning. Uh, but even if you don't have a bookmark, you can go on our website you can click on the banner that looks like that. And there are Advent readings for each week. And I'm going to be pulling from, uh, from the week's reading that we just had for today's uh, topic. And then for next week, we'll, we'll follow it from there. So you can go to our website, baymarin.org, 
And part of what, what you can enjoy in this is this is a way for God to break into your day as you open the scriptures. Uh, now, there are four readings for each week, and I've had a couple of people ask me, so what do we do for those other three days, basically, they were asking. Um, if there's four readings and there's seven days a week, do we just take three days off, just uh, whatever? Um, I say the way I have, have read these in the past is, um, much like Thanksgiving, I enjoy the leftovers. In other words, I will, um, I will chew on these four passages and before the week is over, I will pull them out again and I will read them again and mull them over and chew on them some more. Um, there is something about going back to a passage over and over that, that increases the flavors. Is there some meals, if you notice that, that are almost better the second day, like a good hearty stew? Um, I don't know why, but I enjoy a turkey sandwich on Friday as much or more than I enjoyed the turkey on Thursday. I don't know what it is about it, um, but uh, it's, uh, it is just something that I, I encourage you to, to read these and don't just kind of skim through them, but take a second, take a few minutes and just marinate in it and maybe pick it back up later on in the week. Uh, for those of you that participated in our evening retreat a couple Sundays ago, we walked through, literally walked through Psalm 23. Now, I would be willing to bet that everybody that was here had probably read or heard of Psalm 23 before they got here. But how many of us, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of us really something new and fresh came out of Psalm 23, even though we had read it and maybe memorized it years ago? There is, that is what I believe is so one of the beautiful things about God's word is it is alive and it is fresh. And when we read it, um, we're not reading it just for information's sake. We're reading it for transformation. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't look at this, even though we're going to try and, and be practical, how are some ways that we can prepare for Christ coming to us? Our goal is not to just kind of get some helpful information from it. Our goal is to read it and realize that it is a love story written by God to us. And it is the story of Jesus and how God loved us and sent to us Jesus. And the better we can understand God's love, the better we are able to go out and show God's love to the people around us. And so as we enter into the story, <clears throat> we do so um, <clears throat> needing to clear our throats. And uh, we do so recognizing that we are entering into a beautiful story. And this is an opportunity for us to see how our story aligns with God's big story and how we can um, better position ourselves, especially in this season of Advent, to remember that uh, what it is to live with the hope of waiting uh, and to live with joy in the midst of life's not yetness. What are some things that you are still waiting for? What are those things that you long for but have not yet happened in your life? Could it be that even in this waiting, in this time of preparation, one of the greatest blessings, even before the arrival of what you were hoping for, maybe one of the greatest blessings could be the way that you encounter Jesus in the midst of that. So um, let's look at this passage in Romans 13. Again, I hope you had a chance to read it earlier in the week, but if not, that's, that's no problem. We'll bring you up to speed. Uh, Romans 13 is just a, a small number of verses, which again, um, kind of puts us in a position where we can, uh, we can chew on it a little bit longer. Think of this as a bite size of scripture that we will chew on this morning. 
Can you tell I'm hungry? I'm using all kinds of food analogies. <laughs> okay, Romans 13. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. Thank you. Um, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, let's kind of look at this passage in, in context. Um, thank, I didn't see who brought the water, but thank you. Oh, Larry, thank you, Larry. Um, Abby could turn this into juice. I just want you to know that, Larry. If you were here, that would be... Had to be here, sorry. Um, let's put this in, in context. The Romans is a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, he wrote it to the, uh, to the believers in Rome, to the Jews and the Gentiles who uh, were choosing Jesus as the way. Uh, he wrote this from Corinth as best as I um, could gather. And this, this chapter kind of sits in the midst of something that we, might kind of catch us off guard. <clears throat> He's talking about He's talking about our responsibilities uh, as a citizen um, under the government in which we, uh, we live and also as neighbors. So this is kind of a little bigger context of what's taking place in Romans 13. And he is basically saying that um, though we live under the same government as everybody else, our actions and our thoughts and our lives should be distinctly different. Um, there was a letter written in the uh, probably first or second century that um, I want to read a portion of. And it was, um, this is not biblical literature, but it is describing what was taking place in those early years of the church. Christians are indistinguishable from other people, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect, or follow some outlandish way of life. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens, any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. And he is describing the lives of people who realize that Jesus is coming back. He is describing um, the, what is the byproduct of people who recognize that when we truly believe that Jesus is coming back, that he is breaking into our day to day, that we are going to be, uh, that we will live differently. Uh, we're not going to dress differently. We're not going to live in our own little commune. Um, but this is a way that we are interspersed in, the, in community, but living life, um, giving other people this growing sense of light in the darkness. And so um, we... Um, 
we can do this because we know what matters. We can do this because we know that this world is not the end. And we go through this day fully aware of what time it is. If I were to ask you what, what time is it, what would be the first thing you would look at? Yeah, your, your phone, a watch, yeah. Um, since it's dark out, you can't use, or cloudy, you can't use that, that sundial that you brought. What is, uh, we, we kind of, there are some different ways that we can think of, of time. Um, I remember when I first moved out and I was asking my mom for some baking tips because I knew, uh, like for brownies, for instance, I said, you know, I've noticed that when you bake brownies, you, when they're in the oven, you know what time it is to pull them out because you, put a, you stick a toothpick in it and pull it back out. And she said, yeah, so if I were you, get some brownie mix and get some toothpicks. And so I said, that's great. But then I realized I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for on the toothpick. <laughs> Should there be something on it? Should it come through? Anyway. Um, so that was a different kind of time. She couldn't say specifically the time. All ovens vary and things like that. Um, but this word time is interesting here in Romans uh, 13. It says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And there's a couple uses of the word uh, time in, uh, in the Greek. And one of them is chronos, and that's like clock time. That's something that is measured in seconds. This is what drives most of us for, product, uh, for productivity throughout the week. You know what time you need to go to work tomorrow. You know what time that first appointment is. You know what time you get to clock out and you get to come back home, things like that. Um, but the word for time here, um, understanding the present time, this is a different word and it's, a, it's uh, kairos, and it's referring to a designated special occasion or season. It's an era that, that leads to a point of making a decision. It's like a, a significant moment in someone's life. And so what Paul is saying is, do you know what time it is? Do you recognize how significant this moment is right now in your life? I'm telling you, it is time for you to wake up. And so let's, let's kind of think through a couple of examples uh, just in real time of the difference between Kronos and Kairos. I'll give you an example from my life. Um, on August 22nd, 2002, I went to a baseball game in St. Louis that started at the time of 7.05. Um, later on that evening, when I got home, Beth doubled over in pain grabbing her stomach, said to me, it's time. <laughs> Can you see the difference between those two times? Yeah, one I was smiling, one I was panicked. Um, um, and what's funny is even though she said it's time, which was not something that you could technically measure on a clock, I did look at my watch and we, we said, um, we went to a class that, that said, you know, you don't want to go to the hospital too early. And now I can't remember exactly, but they're like, you know, if your contractions are like 12 minutes apart, it's not time to go yet. And um, I don't remember exactly now, it was like eight minutes apart, I don't know. Um, and so I said, well, let's time the contractions. Let's see how much time elapses between contractions. And it ended up being 90 seconds. Um, <laughs> And so, 
So it was, it was really time. In fact, it was, it was past time for us to get in the car. And then in not one of my brighter moments, um, I said to Beth, I said, hey, while you're getting your shoes on, um, I'm gonna jump in the shower real quick. <laughs> and get cleaned up, I got sweaty at the ball game. And uh, again, not, not one of my brighter moments. Um, and so, so you can kind of see the difference between Kronos, Kairos. Um, do you, now think of this personally, do you understand what time it is in your life? Do you understand the present season of your life? And it's going to be different for each one of us in here. Um, I want you to give me some examples of seasons or Kairos times of a person's life. It may be your life or just in general. And let me give just a couple of general answers to prime the pump. Um, you could be at uh, this time in your life is a time where you are about to uproot and you are about to move on. I would think um, a senior in high school is entering into that season, for example. Or a specific junior in high school that I know needs to be thinking about it's time to uproot and move on. Um, it could be a time to grow your business and to put in some extra hours. Or it could be a time, a season for you to pull back from work because you need to tend to some urgent family matters. So just um, in, a, in a phrase or a sentence, what, what season do you find yourself in? Or what would be another Kairos time that someone may encounter? Trials. Trials. Yes. That, tell me more about that season. Not, you don't have to be uh, like personally, but just what, what is it about uh, a season or a Kairos time of trials that stands out to you? I think it's a time where the things I trusted in are stripped away and I'm learning how to anchor myself just in God. Wow, okay. Where things, uh, things are stripped away. Um, hey, Bill, would you mind grabbing the mic that Samson has back there? I'm afraid people in the back aren't going to be able to, to hear that, and I don't trust me to, to repeat it as well as you just said it. <laughs> um, but a time of suffering, a time of trial, can be a time where some of the things that we've grown dependent upon can, get, can be uh, pulled back. Can you, you mind saying that again? Sorry. Sure. Oh. Do I need to? Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> um, the trial is a time when I discover that I was trusting in a lot of things other than God. And so they are being stripped away so I can learn how to trust more just in God. Awesome. Yeah. And so with that mindset, and can we agree that not all of us will go through a trial <laughs> with that mindset? Um, with that kind of openness, but there is a uh, there's a way in which would it be safe for me to say that um, you've experienced the advent of Christ in your life, the coming, the arrival of Christ in the midst of a trial. Yes. Yeah, and I know I know part of your story, so I'm I'm able to um, celebrate that with you in the midst of of a trial. Somebody else, Jonathan, will bring the mic so we can we can hear you. Yeah. So my older daughter's father is dying and he's like slowly slipping away and they've always had such a tense and difficult relationship mm -hmm. and that also is slipping away. Mm -hmm. And so there's this new like 
softness between them mm. and he has he just doesn't have his faculties and so he's very willing to let her love him mm. I think one of the things um, thank you for sharing that um, whether a season like that um, suddenly is upon us or um, it's something that, that creeps up and we've known is coming. Um, there is probably something that has taken place that prepared them for that moment. Um, something good, something that softened hearts so that they um, could be receptive to each other. And sometimes that does take place, like you're describing, in the midst of something that's really difficult. But... Um, when we enter into seasons, and you both described really, really heavy, difficult times, but um, that is what is great about Advent in this time of not knowing, in this time that we can't put on a clock, um, we can still experience hope and joy. We can still find those ways to rejoice in the midst of brokenness. Um, to repeat, what we have already repeated a few times, um, to God, the darkness and the light are the same. He sees what's going on in those dark times and he is coming to us. And so I think um, we could just kind of stop right there. I think you, <laughs> you brought us to such a cool point of realizing that this is in the, even in the midst of the waiting that we can still experience a, a hope and a, and a peace, even in the midst of some times that we would rather not be going through. Um, let me just say that you, regardless of what season you are in, you have an opportunity to encounter Jesus in your midst. Um, in fact, I think it would be tragic if you went through whatever this season is and missed Jesus in your midst. I think it would be tragic if you went through and, and only checked it off as a, as a life lesson, but you missed the relationship. Again, he comes to us. This is a love story. As he pursues us, he wants a relationship with us. And we find that um, when we walk through these valleys and these shadows of death, he wants to break in. So Advent is a season um, where... Uh, we recognize that we are each in a different time, a different season of life. And I want you to kind of hold on to what, whatever your unique kairos is as we think about this. So how do we prepare for the arrival of Christ? Because sometimes it does, uh, events will happen unexpectedly. Uh, sometimes we do have some time going into it. But what are some things that we can do right now um, in order to prepare and let me go back to uh, verse 11. Um, our two points are going to be, how do we prepare? We wake up and we get dressed. That's what this passage, that's what Paul is saying. Wake up and get dressed. Romans 13, 11, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The first thing we do is wake up. Students, I think some of you are up, up top there. How many of you think that your parents take way too many naps? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't know whose child that is that said that, but um, yeah. Okay, Callie, so while I have your attention, um, when you, 
when you go to wake me up from a nap, um, what are some things that you've learned to do? Don't wake me up. <laughs> I, I'm not like this if I wake up in the morning, but from a nap, I don't know what it is, but it is, you are putting your life in danger if you come over and tap me on the shoulder or if you're real close to me when you say my name. I don't know what it is, but I come flying off the couch. And if you're too close, you're gonna get hit. I don't know, I, don't, I might love you, but this is just, I don't know, it just freaks me out. Um, so waking, waking me up from a nap, uh, my kids and Beth know it's best done from the far side of the room, okay? Or as Callie said, you just let me sleep, okay? That, you know, it's just not worth it for her to go through the process of waking me up. I wanna tell you in, in a more figurative way, um, I've found that I need people in my life who love me too much to let me sleep because there have been times in my life when I have been awakened to the reality of my life, and quite honestly, it was dangerous for the people around me. They could have, they could have played it a lot easier, a lot safer, and maybe just kind of coasted with me, but I'm talking about those people um, that were brave enough to wake me up by telling me what I needed to hear instead of what I wanted to hear. Um, and I guess what I, what I want to say in this is um, who in your life loves you so much that they help you wake up? I mean, you could set an alarm, so to speak, and you, can, you could take some kind of a personal inventory that wakes you up. But I really think this is one of those times when we need each other. Because there are other people while you are sleeping that they are aware of what's going on around you. You are sleeping, the house is on fire. You might need somebody to wake you up. You are sleeping, your life is on fire. You're gonna need somebody. Do you have someone close enough to you to wake you up that will pull back the covers, so to speak, to reveal the issues that you're wrestling with right now? Do you have somebody in your life that will do that? Um, do you have someone in your life who loves you enough to wake you up to reality and the things that could really take you down if those things aren't addressed? Um, it's kind of a, in a more positive way. Do you have someone in your life who wisely wakes you up in a dark season of life and reminds you that even the darkness is light to God? That could help you see the light, the hope, and the joy in the midst of that? For for melancholies like me, others of you in the room, we need people like that, that are gonna wake us up and not let us continue to wallow in self-pity. Um, a friend of mine in St. Louis, Jeff, Jeff Taylor, not related, but um, just a really good friend, uh, asked me a couple of weeks after my mom passed away if we could meet for breakfast, and we did. And he sat there, it was just a great listening ear to what I was wrestling with as I had was going through this, beginning this grief process. And then he said, I have something for you to help you in this time of grief. And uh, he handed me a best of SNL DVD. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, in this season that you're in, I just want you to know you, you have permission to laugh. It's okay for you to, to smile 
and to experience joy, even in what you're going through. That was a wake-up call for me. I needed that. My family needed that around as they were around me. Um, do you have someone who is willing to risk a friendship with you? Who's willing to go there on your behalf? Um, I lost some friends, thankfully, by their grace. They entered back into my life. But there was a pretty dark season uh, where I just kind of stiff-armed some people and said, hey, um, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm okay. But they stuck around. They, were, they continued to be within arm's reach. And they played a really key, uh, key role in my life. Um, and I, I think of this also, um, this is a, a picture, an analogy that I've used in a variety of ways, but um, when, when Callie was about five years old, she went in for um, a surgery on her sinuses to open up her sinuses. And the nurse uh, said that uh, as she comes out of anesthesia, especially someone that young, the best thing for them is to see a familiar face as soon as they wake up. And so we were in the room when she first opened her eyes after the procedure. And what I have learned is I need a familiar face when I wake up. I need someone with me in these seasons of waiting, in these seasons of darkness that I can look at and go, okay, I'm not alone in this. I got somebody that's with me. Who is walking with you in that way? Who loves you enough to wake you up and to continue to walk with you as you continue this journey? Find somebody like that. If you have one person, then you are blessed. If you have a, a group of people that you can lean on, that's awesome. Maybe share some with somebody else. But go, um, but go to these people and maybe begin by giving them permission. Hey, if you see me sleeping, you have permission to wake me up. If you see something that I need to be aware of, I'm open to you. Um, so we wake up and we get dressed. We don't go out of the house without waking up and getting dressed, ideally. <laughs> All right, Romans 13, 12. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wake up and put on Christ. Wake up and surround yourself with Christ. Now, I do think this is something that you will be able to grow to a point and you may not be there now, but eventually I hope you can grow to a point where you can dress yourself. Does that make sense? There's a season for each of us, physically, where we had to have help getting dressed. But then, ideally, as we progress, we're able to dress ourselves. I believe that spiritually, as we grow, um, there will be times when we need people to help us understand, what does this mean to put on Christ? What does it mean to surround ourselves with Christ. But then we can grow to a point where we recognize this is what I need to do on a daily basis to put on Christ. 
Paul says in a different letter to the Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Clothing yourself in these things are the way that we prepare for Jesus' second coming. Clothing ourselves in these things are ways that we prepare ourselves for the ways that God wants to break through in our everyday, ordinary lives. Jesus wants to make himself known, visible to you. And he also wants to make himself visible to others. As you choose the way of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiveness, and love, you are surrounding yourself. You are putting on Christ. Wake up and get dressed. But this ache of separation is tough. It's real. When we're in the waiting, when we can't look at a clock that tells us when this darkness is going to end, we have an app on our phone that tells us when sunrise is scheduled to be tomorrow. Um, but we don't have that in life. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. We don't know exactly when God is going to break through in whatever it is that you're going through in this kairos of your life. Um, but something that I've learned that will help in the, in the, in the ache of our separation. And again, I'm going to um, use my daughter for an example. Um, this is, uh, if, if you have an opportunity to be a, a pastor's child, don't. Uh, because they, uh, they use you for illustrations and forget to ask permission. Um, so, um, so I've got, uh, when, I, when I journal on a regular basis, sometimes I'll go back to the, the year before and see what was going on or to several years before. I've got this one app when I journal on my computer that says, um, one year ago today or five years ago today and I can go back to those app to that day and just be reminded of what was taking place um, so it was shortly after Thanksgiving a few years ago I think Callie was only like five uh, or six at the time about the time she was when she had that surgery and uh, it was Thanksgiving um, had come and gone and Mimi and Papa, Beth's parents were, were headed back up to St. Louis and Callie I'm telling you, I've never seen tears as big as that little girl could shed in her younger years. Just huge tears rolling down her cheeks. She did not want Mimi and Papa to leave. And I would remind her, hey, you know what? They're coming back for Christmas. That's just, that's just a little over three weeks away. But can you remember like when you're a kid, a, a few weeks just sounds like an eternity. That means absolutely nothing to you, a few weeks. And so, so I'm laying there next to her in her bed on a tear-soaked pillow and we're talking about what it's going to be like for Grammy and Papa when they come back and then I, I this thought popped into my head you know maybe maybe it's it's good that that they're not here right now because did you buy them a Christmas present yet she looked at me funny she said no I said well they can't be here for Christmas without a Christmas present right she seemed to be following my logic and I said 
Well, thank goodness that we have some time to buy them some Christmas presents. And she was, she was like all in. She's like, yeah. I said, well, what do you think we should get them? And the first thing she said was a Target gift card, which I thought was kind of <laughs> funny for someone that age. But then she started just, you know, we can get them this and we can get them this. And the more she was thinking about what she could get them, um, it's just that, that ache of the separation seemed to dissolve. And then she got this idea. She's like, oh, but they're not the only relatives we have. And she, she started naming other people that we needed to buy gifts for. And it was at that point that I began to cry. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but the point is, um, the ache of separation is soothed by the way that we prepare in the meantime. The, the ache of separation is soothed by the act of preparation. What can you be doing now? What can you be doing today? How can you wake up? How can you get dressed in a way that gives you hope for the ways that Jesus is going to break into your life? Um, John and the band, if you guys want to make your way up. We do uh, come around this table as a family every week, this communion table. Um, Jesus used a very uh, powerful yet simple uh, meal of bread and wine as a symbol for what would soothe his disciples and what was going to be an ache of separation. Jesus knew he was about to go away. He's sharing in this last meal with them, and the Eucharist is one of the ways that Jesus comes to us through what these elements represent. They represent his body up over us, offered for us, his blood shed for us. Um, my sister sent pictures uh, to my brother and I yesterday uh, as she was putting up some Christmas decorations at her house in North Missouri. And they were Christmas decorations that my mom used to put up every year. And uh, my sister inherited those and she continues to put them up. It's a Santa doll and this angel. They're each about two feet tall. And to be honest, we were really afraid of them as kids. They were really creepy looking. <laughs> um, but it helped us remember mom in that moment. And can I, I wanna say that if, if you're new to what communion is, um, it might sound really strange, even creepy, to hear someone say, we're going to eat and drink of what someone offered to us as a sacrifice, a body broken and blood shed. But the point is for us to remember, for us to remember. And in this time that we may feel separated from Jesus, this is a way for us to prepare, to remember, and for him to break in break in. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and as you reflect on the Kairos, the time, the season of your life, um, I want to ask you to place your hands in your lap, palms up if you want to do this with me. Just still with your eyes closed, your hands in your lap, palms up, just symbolizing open hands and openness. And as you're preparing to partake of the bread and the juice, would you invite the advent, the arrival of Jesus 
into that current Kairos time season of your life? Invite him in. Father, I thank you that you are here among us. And I pray that we will be awake to any fresh ways that you desire to break in and breathe hope and peace and joy in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for offering your life for us. With open hands, we come to you. Amen.